Now we'll turn to Isaiah chapter 52. And uh, I once heard of a, there was a, a mom who took her little child to the store, and it just happened to be that it was on Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, as uh, this mother went with her child, the little kid asked, her, asked his mom, Mom, could I have a dollar? And the mom perceived that the, the child was wanting to take this little money and go buy her something, a gift with it. And so uh, as she says, yeah, here you go, and she gives the kid one dollar, and this kid runs off and says, I'll be back. And he goes and looks around, and he looks through the store and finds one little gumball. And it buys the little gumball. It doesn't want its mom to see, and it goes and pays for it at the cash register. And then as they go outside, the little kid comes up to his mom, and it hands it the gumball, and it says, I just wanted to tell you Happy Mother's Day. And it gives it to her. And that mama, whenever she saw that, even though it was just a little gumball, no value whatsoever, and maybe she didn't even want it, but as she saw the child give her this gumball, it filled her heart with love and with joy. And uh, I feel a lot of times like I'm the same way with the Lord. Anything that I can give Him that means anything... He has to give me that gift first before I can even give it back to Him because I have nothing in myself. And to get up and stand and be able to have the privilege to speak it all about this precious Holy Word is a privilege that I can't even imagine. And I thank God for the opportunity. And I pray that God would just use my feeble tongue and my lisping, stammering mouth to be able to proclaim and help somebody here tonight. And uh, Brother Bobby, if you would, would you pray for me before we get started? Lord, we stand in need, Lord, to 
Isaiah chapter 52, the Word says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion, for thus saith the Lord, Ye have sold yourself for naught. Ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and Assyrian oppressed them without a cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, and publisheth peace, and bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice with the voice together, and they shall sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted His people and has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so we know as we look in Isaiah chapter 52, uh, taking place up until this time, uh, just like we see in verse number 4, Egypt had put Israel under bondage. And that's a reference going back uh, to the days of after Joseph reigned in Egypt. And then the children of Israel were in bondage in God raised up Moses and He used Moses to bring them out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. Uh, We also know that uh, after this point, after Isaiah's prophecy that he's given here, moving forward the Assyrians come and the Assyrians attack uh, the Israelites. And we see as we move uh, forward even from then, Isaiah is prophesying as well to the coming captivity of Babylon that... uh, that was going to take the people of Jerusalem. And we think, well, how could God's people be taken captive? But up until this point, God has proclaimed His Word. And He has told the children of Israel, 
turn from your wicked ways. Turn from these false idols. Turn from these false gods. Turn from all this wickedness or my judgment is going to be poured out upon you. And as we see time and time and time again throughout the Old Testament, the people will turn back to God and then they'll turn away. And they'll fall back into sin. They'll fall back into this false idol worship. And as uh, this goes uh, on and on and on, God finally gets to the place where you can look uh, on the page right before, it says that, uh, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, in verse 17, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord and the cup of His fury. Thou hast drunk in the dregs of this cup of trembling and wrung them out. There is none to guide her among the sons whom she has brought forth, and neither is there any that take her by the hand of all the sons she brought up. And so God is got to the point with Israel where He's fed up with them, and so now they have to go into the Babylonian captivity. They have to go and be under oppression. And there was no reason that they had to do this apart from their own decisions. They could have listened to the Lord. They could have followed after what He was telling them and they would have been fine. Uh, just like the Lord says in verse... Um, it says, Shake thyself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For ye have sold yourself for naught. There was no reason that they should have sold themselves and they paid the price but what they got was not worth the price that they paid. They've sold their souls for these false idol worship and they have turned their backs against God. And uh, as we see this go forward, we also see how that God does not leave them in that position. God tells them that His people are going to know His name. Even though... uh, They've been in such a situation that God's name has been blasphemed because of the way that they've lived their lives and the way they've been brought under captivity, uh, God is not going to leave them in that place. His people will know His name. Uh, and we see the coming of this messenger. But at the same time, this is not uh, speaking only about historical Israel in this sense, but we can see as... This is a spiritual reflection of a reality that has taken place in our lives today. The same way that Israel had fallen away from God and they had turned away from God, we see the greater picture of mankind and how mankind has fallen away from God. We go back to uh, all the way to Genesis whenever God created everything we know and we go back uh, and we're all familiar with the story of Adam and Eve and how God said, "You can have anything to eat that you want in all of this garden." And it was the most beautiful garden that God had made for them, and man had free reign to be able to go and have dominion over the animals and the plants and he was supposed to take care and till the ground and work was a pleasure for him. But God commanded him that there was one tree in that garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he was not supposed to partake of. That was God's one command that he gave him. And God told him, in the day that you take of this fruit, you will surely die. And so, just as Israel in this uh, passage of Scripture has rebelled against God, and God's had to turn His face away from them, the same way in the beginning when man first sinned and took of that tree and ate of that fruit that he was not supposed to, God took and He turned His back upon Adam. 
And therefore, turning His back upon all of us. Because God is not going to look upon sinful people. And of course we know that God established a plan. God made a way and He brought in the animal sacrifices. And they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's a picture of them trying to cover themselves with their own righteousness. But God said, no, I'll take and slay this animal and I'll cover you. And as God covers them, we see a, a, a foreshadowing of things that are to come. And that's what we see here in verse 1. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, holy city. But we see as time moves forward and the, the, the children end up... We see this, this seed, this line, this family that God promises Eve back in Genesis chapter 3 and He tells her that thy seed will have enmity with the serpent. And He will bruise... His heel, the serpent will bruise the the seed's heel, but the seed will bruise his head. He will crush his head. And uh, as we go forward, we see all throughout the Scripture, from that point on, it's it's traveling through the line of this family. And we keep having children that are born, and you say, is that the seed? Is that the one? Is that the one that's going to come that that God was talking about in Genesis chapter 3? And every time it looks like it might be the one. It turns out that they were just a sinful man like the rest of us. In Romans chapter 5, it tells us that Adam's sin was imputed to us. So even like David says, within my mother's womb, I was conceived in iniquity. Every one of us, when we're, before we're even born, we're, we're sinful. And we're fallen. And you can look at a little child and how, uh, even a little sweet, precious child how you get to watching them and you watch their nature and you watch when you take something from them that they want and how they act. They say, mine, mine, mine. You try to get them to share with other children and we try to train them to be the way that they ought to be and the way that God wants us to be, but in themselves, they're sinful. And as we see this predicament that God has, when He made Adam and Eve in the garden and He made mankind and He uh, had Adam and He said everything is good, but He saw that he didn't have a helpmeet. He saw that he didn't have anyone. And then he created Eve. And he saw Adam and Eve was together. And he looked out at all his creation and he said, it is very good. Yeah. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord what he had done. And so as we see how pleasing this was to the Lord, we can know that the, the, the heartbreak that come from sin coming into his perfect creation marring this and taking man who was made in God's image and separating him from God. And so God, as He wants to restore this relationship with mankind, we know that God is sovereign over all things. He's in control of all things. Nothing ever took God by surprise. He allowed this incident to happen here in the garden because He had a greater plan. And even though that mankind is separated from God, before the foundations of the earth were established, God knew what He was going to do. But the people didn't understand yet. And that's why we see the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they didn't have an understanding like we do of what was taking place whenever the Messiah was here. And as we look in verse number 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, and publisheth peace, and bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. 
And so, as we look back in these, these ancient days, we can, uh, we can look into stories about... Uh, we can look into the stories about the King David and the messengers in that day and how uh, David would... They would be specific men in their army. Their main job was to be footmen. They were messengers. And whenever they would go out to the war, if they were winning the war, the captain of the host would say, Hey, you run and tell the people back in Jerusalem to get ready because bad news is coming. Or they would say, get ready because good news is coming. And so you would see uh, a lot of times all these men would leave and go out to war. The king was supposed to go out and leave with them and go to war. And so as all your mighty men, all your strong men, the king, the captain of the host, the guard, they all would leave their city and they would go out and they would fight these battles. And so you can imagine the people that were left back home you can imagine the women and the children and the, the elderly men, the ones who weren't able to go and fight, and maybe a few of the guards and some watchmen at the top of this tower. And they're waiting for the news to come. They're waiting for this news of good tidings or bad tidings, and they have no idea what's coming. And we see the same thing with, with Israel here as they're in Babylon. They're waiting for that news because God's promised them that He's going to deliver them. And so as they're looking back and they're reading the word of Isaiah and they're waiting for the good news to come. They're waiting for the footmen to come. They're waiting for this messenger to come. And as the watchmen look out over the landscape and as they see the man coming, they see some dust rising up. They see him coming. They see him running on his bare feet as fast as he can. And he's running over thorns. He's running over rocks. He's running over thistles. He's running over dust. And as he gets there, he starts screaming, Good news! Good news! That's the word we have in the New Testament. Gospel. Evangelion. Good news! And when they get and they tell of the good news, they say, The war is won. As, As they come into Babylon here, he says, King Cyrus has decreed that we can go home. The, the, the Babylonian captivity is over. We can go back to Jerusalem. Yes. And as this man's feet, as they look down at his feet, in the Bible we see over and over, they clean each other's feet. They wash each other's feet. Dirty feet are a symbol that is uh, not polite. It would be a, a disgusting thing of that time. But even though this man comes and his feet are probably bruised and bloody from running these many miles and covered with dust and covered with dirt, as they look down and they see his feet, it wouldn't be something of disgust to them, but they would see his feet in this shape and say, how beautiful are the feet of the one who comes. And he brings the good tidings and publishes Salvation. And so I think about feet. As I got to thinking about feet and the Lord started showing me something, I think about the feet of God Almighty. And I think about how as God was standing forth and He was in heaven, that all things were beneath His feet. I think about how the Bible tells us that He sits on the throne in heaven and that His footstool is the earth. And so His feet rest upon everything we know and it's like nothing to Him. We see as uh, Moses and Aaron go up and they have a vision and they see the sapphire stone paved around His feet as His feet are sitting 
upon it. We see uh, as David speaks about the Lord coming to fight his battle, that it says that the clouds are beneath his feet in darkness. The thing that we're, uh, uh, that is our affliction is beneath his feet. And we see that God, as he cre- before creation, God, his feet were there before anything even existed. We see back in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, God lit down upon the earth and he walked with Adam and Eve. Yes, and I got to thinking about how those feet, the same ones that walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, the same ones who ride out upon the clouds in judgment against Israel's enemies, how far that those feet came. I think about uh, how if somebody took my wife and I, and I had to go try to find her, I would go to the ends of the earth I would travel and walk on my feet if I had to, to find her. But I think about how these feet traveled the distance from heaven to earth. How these feet traveled a further distance than anything we could ever imagine. We see that whenever Jesus was born, it says that He was born of a spirit, born of a virgin. And I think of how His little feet were just a baby. And how He emptied Himself and He came in the incarnation and He became just a babe held in His mother's arms and she had to take care of Him. She had to watch over Him and His little feet were there. I think about uh, as they took Him into the, uh, into the temple, in, in verse 7 it says um, that they publish salvation. In verse 10 it says, All the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And how that word salvation in this particular passage in Isaiah is the word Yeshua. And Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's saying Yeshua, the Savior, the salvation of our Lord will be declared. And as we see Jesus as He's just a little baby and His mom and dad carry Him into the temple as according to the custom, there's this devout man named Simeon who comes and he takes up Jesus in his arms and he says, Behold, this day I have seen the salvation of the Lord. He said, I've seen Him. His name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua, the salvation of the Lord. Jehovah saves as He was here. And we see as uh, they have to flee to Egypt, his mother and father and Jesus do, because uh, Herod was killing all the babies that were two years old and younger. And as they flee to Egypt, as they depart and come back, that's probably around the time that Jesus was taking his first steps. And we see his little feet learning how to walk. This is the God who created all things, who's learning how to take his first steps on the earth. We see at, at age 12, whenever they traveled to Jerusalem, and Jesus, uh, his parents lost him. They didn't know where he was, and they had to turn, leave the caravan and go back and try to find him. It turned out he was in the temple, and his feet had carried him into that temple. And they, uh, they, he was teaching the leaders of theology in that day stuff that they had no idea, and they were astonished at his doctrine. I think of Jesus as, as we see Him uh, early on in His ministry as He steps down into the Jordan River and John the Baptist baptizes Him and He comes up and the Spirit of the Lord descends upon Him like a dove and as He steps out of that Jordan, He walks and He goes and He's led in the wilderness for 40 days and He fasts 
And he resists those temptations from Satan as he's there upon his feet in the wilderness. I think about the many miles that he walked out of his way to seek and save people and to heal people. And people came with their, with their ministry, the people came with their issues and their problems, and he healed them. And there's many times, like the woman that, was, uh, that, that we find with Jesus at the well, he didn't have, that was not even in his way, but he walked all that way to go and to minister to her and to share with her the gospel. I think about the temple in Isaiah 62 whenever it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the gospel of peace. And I think about how in Luke 4, how Jesus comes into the temple and He takes that scroll and He reads of that and we realize that Jesus is saying, this is speaking about me. I think about how Jesus walked many miles and He preached the gospel. I think about how the lame and the blind and the dumb and the maimed, they fell down at His feet. It said the people, they grabbed a hold of His feet and they worshipped Him. We see uh, as, as Jesus does the unthinkable and He, with His feet, takes and He walks out upon the sea as it was the tempest was raging and there was a storm rolling. We think about how uh, Jesus, it says that He explains to His disciples what things are going to take place at Jerusalem. He explains to them what kind of death that He's going to die, but it says that He set His face to Jerusalem. And He was unshaken, and His feet carried Him, even though He knew what awaited Him. I think as, as we come to the garden like I talked about last week, and how Jesus' feet folded under Him as He was in agony, and like the song we sang tonight, whenever the blood like great drops of sweat was pouring off of Him, and how His feet were there underneath Him as He prayed to God. And I think as, as they come into the garden and they arrested Him, and they brought Him before the Sanhedrin. And as He walked in before the Sanhedrin and they mocked Him and they blasphemed Him and they spit upon Him and they punched Him. I think about whenever they was going to bring Him before Pilate and the stairs that Jesus walked up to go before Pilate. And I think about as Jesus stands there and looks out upon the people and He hears all the crowd crying, Crucify Him! And as Jesus listens, they lead Him on His feet out. And they whip Him. And they beat Him. And they scourge Him. And it says in Isaiah 53, right after this, that He was marred so bad that you wouldn't even recognize Him as a human. Dr. Mike Bagwell said, if you read the Greek into that text, and read what it's saying, that it was like... Hamburger meat. Like raw hamburger meat would have been what his body looked like. And we see how Jesus walked up the mountain. He walked up Golgotha, the hill, the place of the skull with the cross upon his back. And as he walks up this mountain, the strength that he has is failing him. His physical strength. He has to have Simon of Cyrene come and help him to carry this cross beneath the weight of his feet. And as they carry him, and as, as they carry the cross, and they go up on top of this mountain, we see they lay him down upon this cross, and they take the nails, and they drive them through his hands, and those feet, those feet that left heaven, and those feet that came down, 
were choked through with nails to fasten him to an old rugged cross. And as they took and they stood up this cross and it jerked upon him, he had to take those feet and he had to push up to be able to get a breath of air because the way crucifixion was, it would hang down upon it and you couldn't breathe. And to be able to take a breath, you'd have to pull on your hands and push up with your feet causing excruciating pain in your feet. And as he was hanging there upon that cross, just like I talked about last week, he walked a place that no man has ever walked. He walked into hell itself. And he walked and he took the wrath of God upon himself. There as he hung upon that cross, those feet lit out upon a barren wasteland like nothing that anyone could ever imagine. And after Jesus had paid the price upon the cross, He says, my Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. He says, it is finished. And he cries with a loud voice. And he gives up the ghost. And they come and they take a spear and they stab his side. And it says, the blood and the water poured forth from his side. And as the blood poured down his body and it poured down his legs and the blood dripped off of his feet, we can see how beautiful are the feet upon the mountain that brings the gospel, that publishes the good news of salvation. And they took Jesus. They pulled the nails out of His feet. They laid Him down off that cross. They took our Savior and they buried Him in an old tomb. And those feet were anointed with oil and they covered Him up. They buried him there in that tomb and they rolled the stone over the grave. But those feet, those feet hung over the side of that bed in the tomb and those feet stood once again and those feet, as we see, they walked out of that tomb. And we see that Jesus He walks on His feet as He walks with the disciples upon the Emmaus Road and He explains the Gospel to them. And they say, funny enough, they say, are you the only man in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what's taking place? And Jesus says, well, funny enough, I'm the only one who seems to understand what has taken place. And He opens their understanding. We see as He goes and He shows the disciples His hands and His feet. And Thomas says, I'll not believe unless I can see His hands and Put, thrust my hand into his side. But as he goes, Jesus shows him his hands and his feet. And the Bible tells us for 40 days he's here with all these people and we see the amazing things that he does. And then he ascends into heaven. Whenever he ascended into heaven, those feet once again walk to place where no, no human feet have ever been before. Only angels had trod the ground where Christ walked as He come and the gates were opened unto Him and He walked there into heaven and He walked past the heavenly host and all the angels that rejoiced and worshipped and seen what He did, seen the sacrifice that He paid for us men and they see as He walks up with the blood that He shed upon Calvary as the Lamb that was slain for our sins and He carries that blood and He comes and He walks up the stairs to the throne And he says, Father, 
This is the last blood you'll ever need. Father, this is, this is the sacrifice that I've given to You. Father, this is the sacrifice for the people. And He goes, and as our high priest, He takes that throne. And once again, He sits His feet upon the footstool of the earth as His throne. And when Jesus was on that cross, when Jesus died upon that cross, it says that the veil was torn in the temple. In the Old Testament, the veil is a picture of us being separated from God's glory. They could only, the high priest could go into the, behind the veil once a year to offer up sacrifice. But as Christ hung there upon that cross, the veil was torn in two, opening up the presence of God to all of us, anybody who will. And Jesus says, all those who will come to Me, I will in no wise cast out. And we have verses like John 3.16 that tell us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that is the presence of God opened up to us. And as Christians, there's so much more of God's presence that we can have. There's so much more of God's presence that we can have that we don't even realize, that we don't even come into. We A lot of times we say we're saved, we say we're good, we say we're done, and we don't worry about it anymore. But God wants us to come and draw near unto Him and come into His presence. And the more we see Him, the more we know Him, the more we become like Him. It says that we, Christ is in the Father and we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. And so then we see that Paul, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, he says, How shall they call upon Him and who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So God is calling us the same way Jesus came and He brought the good news. He proclaimed the good news and He carried that good news on His beautiful feet. The same way God wants us to come and carry that gospel, that good news upon our feet and go out into this world and tell the other people that we come in contact with what God has done about the beautiful feet of Christ. And we need to come and we need to fall down at His feet and kiss the Son lest He be angry. We need to kiss His feet and thank Him for what He's done. Just as Mary comes and she uh, breaks her box and she anoints His feet and cries and washes His feet with her tears and washes, her, washes His feet with her hair. That needs to be a picture of us every single day as we seek the Lord. That's, uh, that's pretty much what I had for us tonight. sat there thinking we got that last part right there about how Mary anointed those feet spend time at his feet precious feet and you realize tonight that those are the same feet that came walking on the water when the water was turbulent and when it was against any which way they wanted to go and now the water was getting in their boat sometimes you think the storm's going to take you down you're going to find out 
what's over your head, what's going to take you, what's going to take you over, what's going to take you under, what's going to take you out is under his feet. And if we just get in Jesus, amen, you stand to your feet tonight. Might be somebody, you need to come to the altar. Say, Lord, I got some things that need to be put under your feet. We're going to cast crowns one day before his feet. Maybe there's some things right now you need to put under his feet. Feet represent authority in the Bible. He'd say, get your shoes off your feet. You're on holy ground. Amen. Father and our God, we thank you tonight, God, for your goodness unto us and your gentleness. Thank you for your divine plan of redemption that you are willing to bear our sins upon your feet, upon your back. God, that we, by shedding your blood, dying in our place, might be saved. Thank you, God, for your resurrection. Lord, being raised again, we've been justified. And I thank you, Lord, for that victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I pray tonight, God, Lord, there are issues. Lord, there are spiritual needs. There are physical needs. There are financial needs. Lord, there are burdens that people carry tonight. God, I pray you'd help them tonight, Lord, to say, God, this is a giant to me. I cannot overcome it. Lord, there's a storm in my life. I cannot see my way clear of it. But, Lord... Here you come, making a way when there's not a way, walking upon the waters with your feet. God, help us in tonight to get at your feet, to worship you, to praise you. To Thomas, you said, behold my hands and my side and my feet. Hallelujah. Lord, we can see tonight the only thing man made in heaven are the wounds upon our Savior, those precious feet. Thank you for them tonight, God. And thank you, God, for this young man. God, that you've called into the ministry, God, to go forward, to carry your message upon his feet. And God, I pray you'd use him. And God, you'd help him. And you'd bless him, God. Give him wisdom and help him, God. Never to doubt the call that you've made upon his life in his surrender. And for this I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.